Uh, this morning we are beginning a new sermon series called Growing Faith. We just concluded a sermon series on a guy named Jabez, and we saw in Jabez an extraordinary faith with uh, an extraordinary prayer life. He taught us new things, perhaps, that we should be praying for on a daily basis, and I hope that you've been able to uh, learn from those things in Jabez's prayer life. But I wanted to transition from Jabez to another testimony in Scripture. We're going to take a look at uh, what it means to have a growing faith. Now, the word faith is a very common church word. You hear about it all the time, and yet, as we seek to grow in faith, many times we are struggling in our faith. Many times our faith is coming under attack and we're not even sure what does it mean to have a faith or to grow in that faith. And so we're going to be taking a look through another story, not Jabez, but another testimony in Scripture that will encourage you greatly over these next few weeks. Now, as we talk about growing faith, there are other possibilities in this room. It could be there's somebody here or even worshiping online or, or not even worshiping who might be online and really there's no faith. You don't have a faith that there is a God who saves. You don't have a faith that there's more than just a deity that maybe put all this together, but not a personal saving faith. The other reality is there may be some who have little faith. You've got a little faith, but you want God to grow your faith. It could be that perhaps you feel like you're weak in your faith or just average in your faith. That doesn't have to be the case. We can actually experience a vibrant, growing faith. We're going to learn again, as I said earlier, how that uh, can happen in our lives. We want to also challenge on Wednesday nights. While we don't have Wednesday nights this next week for spring break, when we get back on the 23rd, we've put together a Wednesday night called Anchored, where you can get anchored in your faith. And you have six different classes to choose from. They're posted out there at the table in the lobby. You can look at it online on our app or on the website, and you can pick a class on Wednesday nights, midweek, where you can grow deeper in your faith. But in this series on Sunday mornings, we're going to learn from a story in Scripture that has been one of the most impactful stories in all of human history, a life that was useful to the Master. Let me show you the possibility of that. Turn your Bibles, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 20. 2 Timothy chapter 2. In verse 20, Paul was trying to minister to Timothy's faith, trying to encourage him in the faith. And in that, he writes this under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, these truths. He says, in a, in a large house, there's not only gold and silver vessels, but also vessels of wood and earthenware, some for honor and some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, he will be a vessel of honor sanctified, useful to the master. First time I ever saw that verse, I remember I hadn't been a Christian very long, and I was reading through Timothy, and I find this passage, and I saw that phrase, useful to the master. And it blew me away that it was recorded in Scripture, the possibility that not only could I know God as my master and savior, but that I could actually experience a life that was useful to the Lord. That's always been a driving force and a passion in my life. Lord, I want to be useful to you, prepared for every good work. Well, we're going to see that kind of a testimony. It's not just uh, here in 2 Timothy and what Paul was encouraging Timothy to experience, but we're going to see it all the way back into the Old Testament. We're going to see the life of someone who's one of the most influential people of all human history. 
Now, you might have your own favorite from human history. There might be somebody that comes to your mind. Certainly in Scripture, we can go back and we can see some very significant people in Scripture that had very vibrant and growing faiths. You might think of David, a man after God's own heart. What a glorious testimony. What a beautiful thing to be said of you that you had a heart after God. You might be thinking of Abraham, old father Abraham, and certainly he has a significant story of faith. He's even listed in Hebrews 11 in the Hall of Fame of Faith, and yet that's not who's even that significant compared to who we want to see today, and that would be the life of Elijah. Now we have our very own Elijah in the room. He'll humble himself and wave at everybody. There's a real life Elijah in the space. We're going to look at the real Elijah in the spaces of Scripture, all right? So before we get there, where would you find Elijah in Scripture? Anybody know? Where do we find Elijah in Scripture? Hello? Kings, we're going to get to Kings. Let me take, would you believe that we'll find Elijah in the New Testament? Let me take you there. Go to Matthew chapter 16. Before we get to the Elijah of 1 Kings, we're going to go into the New Testament, and I want you to see the influence of this life. Today's sermon is kind of introductory to the whole series that we're going to be doing over the next four or five weeks, looking at how God takes a regular old guy named Elijah and turns him into a man of God, a man with a growing faith. And so before we get there, you've got to understand the man. You've got to know who this Elijah guy is and the significance of his story. We find his significance not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New Testament. Matthew 16, verses 13 through 14. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples who the people say the Son of Man is. Now, the people were looking for a Messiah. They were looking for the prophesied one, the one who God was sending. And people were starting to buzz, and this miracle worker named Jesus, a lot of people start following and wonder, is this the guy? A lot of them had gone out to John the Baptist out in the wilderness and thought, well, maybe John's the one. This big, huge thing that's happening, maybe, maybe that's the Son of Man. No, it wasn't John the Baptist. Others were talking, and they had been listening to the crowds, and the disciples answered and said, well, well, some say you're John the, or that it's John the Baptist. Others say that it will be Elijah. Others still say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. It's interesting that the people thought that the Son of Man that was coming might be Elijah. Elijah had been born 900 years earlier, and they believed enough in the power of God and what God had prophesied that he was coming back to this earth. Turn over another chapter, Matthew 17. Elijah's going to come up again. Matthew 17, 1 through 4. Six days later, Jesus gets Peter and James and John. You read through here, and it says he took them up on a mountain, took them away, they got alone, and in that moment, Jesus is transfigured into all of his glory, and there before them on this mount of transfiguration is Moses and Elijah. This guy from the Old Testament we're going to read about in 1 Kings is now showing up on this mountain face to face with Jesus. How is that possible? Because God is going to use Elijah throughout all of human history. Back in the Old Testament days, even during the ministry of Jesus, and as they're gathered there on the mountain, why Moses and Elijah? Why not David and Abraham? Why not some other Old Testament saint? Why not Joseph? Why not somebody else? Why not Noah? Well, Moses would represent all the law, and Elijah would represent all of the prophets. 
As Jesus would say later in the New Testament, all that is written, all in the law and all in the prophets, it all points to who? Jesus. And here it was, that testimony on the mountaintop, Elijah face to face with Jesus. John chapter 1, you don't have to turn there, but it says that they were asking Jesus, who are you? Are you this Elijah that we're expecting? Are you the prophet? Jesus said, no, I'm neither of those. Why do they keep asking about Elijah? Well, if you have your Bibles, now turn to Malachi chapter 4. Probably been a while since you've been in Malachi. Find Malachi chapter 4 and verse 5. You see, it was prophesied in Scripture about this one named Elijah. This one who would be significant throughout all of human history. Behold... I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. The Jewish people still to this day, those who are practicing their faith as a Jew, are still looking for the return of Elijah. That Elijah who was taken up will return one day and they have no understanding of what all that is of. But we know that in the end of times there will be two witnesses that are sent back. The two, I believe, that showed up on the Mount of Transfiguration are the two that will return to unbelieving Israel to one last time give them a chance to repent, Moses and Elijah. So here's a guy that God used in his day, 900 years before Christ, who would use him to testify of who Jesus was on the Mountain of Transfiguration during the ministry of Jesus, and as prophesied in Malachi, will one day again be used in this planet. I don't know how that happens. Only God can pull something like that off. So what is it about this guy named Elijah? What is it that we can learn from his story? Well, we're going to learn several things. One, as we look into his day, as we look into his life, we're going to see that he lived in a day much like you and I live. He lived in a day that was corrupt and wicked and evil. In a day in which it had never been darker in Israel's history, all of a sudden we find the story of a guy named Elijah. That's why Elijah's been one of my heroes. He's a guy that was different than everybody else in that day. He was a guy who didn't go with the flow, who didn't live like everybody else lived, but let God get glory from his story. And so what do we do in that? You see, because sometimes I think we wake up in the day in which we live and we think, you know what? Being a Christian's hard. Uh, nobody cares about my faith. Everybody else is pursuing everything but what is holy. And, and we wonder, what can we do? Let me give you some scriptures to encourage you and then give you the story of Elijah. If you're taking notes, write down Psalm 11, verse 3. Psalm 11, verse 3. Listen, listen to what it says. If the very foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? That's a great question. I'm sure it was a question that Elijah wrestled with in his day and time because, man, the foundations had crumbled. We're going to see that in just a moment. It had never been more dark and more wicked than the day in which Elijah lived. And it'd be very easy if you're Elijah to say, well, what can a guy like me do? Might be the question you need to ask. What can you do in the day and age in which we live? I can tell you, and I promise you, your grandparents can verify, we never thought we would live in a country like we're experiencing today. We never thought the things that are being legislated, the things that are being embraced, the things that are being promoted as glorious, which are evil, would happen in this nation. So sometimes we think, well, 
What do we do? What can I do? Well, in Proverbs 28, 1, it says that the righteous don't shrink back, but the righteous actually should be bold as lions. When we look in the story of Elijah in a moment, you're going to see a lion. You're going to see one who was bold in a day when everybody else was shrinking back into sin and idolatry. There was Elijah who was standing up in the moment and leading his nation to a revival. Daniel chapter 11, write this verse down, this is powerful. Daniel chapter 11, verse 32. It says, but the people who know their God, the people, you claim to know God? You can't claim to be a believer? In Daniel it says, those who know their God will display strength and take action. What we're about to study over the next few weeks is a simple guy named Elijah who had an extraordinary faith and the God who created him, and the God who wanted to use him. And as he begins this journey of faith, he starts strong, he goes through struggles, just like you and me, and God, by the end of the story, will raise him up to be Elijah, the man of God. Do you want to see what that looks like? Do you want to know how you can be bold as a lion, how you can have the strength of God in your story, and learn to take action when everybody else is going in the wrong direction? We need modern-day Elijahs. Let's go back and look at it. Now let me take you to the Old Testament. Find 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. For the first time, we're going to learn about this guy named Elijah. You saw him in the New Testament. But before he was ever prophesied of coming back again, let's look at the first days in which he was on this earth. In those days, Ahab, the son of Omri, became king over Israel in the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria for 22 years. This king, King Ahab, has a significant place in history for Israel. He was a king of the land there in Samaria for 22 years. And look at his legacy, verse 30. For Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord more than all who were before him. More than every other king before him, this guy was the most evil yet. You got to do a lot to outpace those who've gone before you. And Ahab looked for every opportunity to be as evil as he could possibly be. To tear down the foundations of all that Israel stood for, all that was supposed to point to the glory of who their God was, he was ripping down the foundations day after day after day. Verse 31, it says, It came about as though it was a trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, that he married outside He married a pagan, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians, and he went to serve Baal and worship him. The king of Israel, the one who was supposed to represent God for the people and lead uh, God's people of Israel, he now turns from that God and goes after the gods of this world. He says, I'm going to worship Baal. I'm not going to worship Jehovah. I'm going to worship the gods of this world. He married into it, and he continued to pour out his life pursuing evil. So much so, in verse 32, he built an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had built in Samaria. It would be this act of idolatry that would corrupt generation after generation after generation. 
says, look at verse 33, thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the other kings of Israel who were before him. This guy was wicked. Uh, This day in which Elijah was born into that generation, they experienced nothing but wickedness on this earth. It says that Ahab was so bad, he he did more evil than all the other kings before him. And that's interesting that on this day, I I can't prove this theologically, but it is my guess that daylight saving was implemented by Ahab right here. What more evil thing could you do to people than rob them of their sleep? This dude was wicked, and I'm convinced he's the father of daylight savings. I may be off a little bit. God may show us something different. But this dude was evil. What does God do? What do we do? When evil abounds, when the unanimous choice of the culture is everything but God, you know what God does? He raises up Elijah's. Look at it. Go to chapter 17 and verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. In chapter 16, we see Ahab. We hear his story. We see that he's tearing down the foundations. What can the righteous do? Well, let's learn from chapter 17. Now there's Elijah. The first time we see him showing up on the pages of Scripture. Elijah the Tishbite. What that means is he was from the land of Tishba. That made him a Tishbite. I'm an Enidite. I came from Enid. You might be whatever they call you from wherever you grew up or whatever you might be. Uh, That was Elijah's story. He was from the land of Tishba, who was of the settlers of Gilead. And he appears in the palace and he confronts this wicked king, Ahab. To Ahab, he said, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, surely there shall neither be dew nor rain these years except by my word. Today, what we're going to do is just look at verse one mainly. We're going to dig in and learn what we can about Elijah. And then from here, over the next few weeks, we're going to see the story go from just ordinary Elijah, the Tishbite, to becoming Elijah, the man of God. In verse 1, we have a lot of things we can learn about Elijah. Elijah was willing to be a standalone voice. Nobody else was speaking up against Ahab. Nobody else in the land was declaring that what Ahab was leading them to do was wicked. And yet we find one voice willing to stand. One man named Elijah who was willing to confront the evil of his day. As we take a look at Elijah, we also see, as I said earlier, he was Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in a region of Gilead. Gilead was a rocky region. If you can picture Israel, it's like a long, skinny piece of country. And in the middle, you have the Sea of Galilee, and at the bottom, you have the Dead Sea. And right down there to the south, you find Jerusalem on the west side, and on the other side of the tracks, up north and east, the other side of the tracks, you find Tishba. That's where he came from. If you look on a map of the region of Israel, Gilead, it's a very rocky high place. In other words, it wasn't very populous. It didn't have a large population. Uh, Not a lot of people could live there. It was tough terrain. It was not easy to live. And that's where Elijah grows up. In other words, Elijah grew up like a lot of us in this space. He didn't grow up in the big city. You would expect a world changer to come from Jerusalem or Jericho or some famous city. He comes from Tishba. Who comes from Tishba? I mean, as close as we get is Tishomingo, maybe. Or I grew up in Enid. That, 
I can relate to a guy like Elijah. This land was rocky and it was rough. It made for a roughneck redneck. It made him for a rural old guy like many of us who grew up in little old cities all over this state. And this little old guy out of little old nowhere gets raised up to confront the king living in the palace. So don't sit there and say, well, I'm nobody special. Don't sit there and say, I don't have the pedigree. Don't make excuses why you're not useful to the master. Remember what Paul told Timothy? Timothy, if you'll just live a life holy unto God, cleansed, if you will just present yourself to God, you can be useful to the master. Elijah, he didn't grow up in the big city. He didn't grow up at the seminary. He didn't grow up with any kind of pedigree. But he was a guy that God used for his glory, not just in that generation, but it's making a human impact or making an impact in human history for all generations. What a story. What is it about this guy, Elijah? Well, not only do we see that he was a stand-up guy, a guy who stood when nobody else did, not only do we see where he grew up and that he came out of nowhere, but God was using this unknown guy to confront the most known guy on the planet. We find out a lot even through his name. Look at that name, Elijah. It breaks up into three pieces in the Hebrew. The first part of his name, El, for Elijah. El actually is the Hebrew word which stands for Elohim, God. His middle, I, that middle part of his name, I, represents me or mine. The last part of his name, Jah, is the name that is used for Jehovah. And when you put all that together, Elijah's name is, my God is Jehovah. So think about this. King Ahab, he's representing all of Israel. He's the one in the White House. He is the one that is dictating public policy. He is the one that is leading the nation, not to God, but away from God. He has declared to all the people, no, 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 there's a new God in land, and there's a new God we're going to worship. His name is Baal. There he is, pompous in his palace. He's worshiping this false god and leading the nation into evil, more evil than all the kings before him. And all of a sudden, one day, a herald walks in and says, King Ahab, you have a guest. Who is that guest? His name is Elijah. Can you imagine what that did to King Ahab? Just his name being announced in the palace was declaring what is true. My God is not Baal. My God is Jehovah. So let me ask you a question. Do we have any modern Elijahs in this audience? Not that Elijah. I'm talking about not because your mama named you Elijah. But does your story... Does your story declare to the whole world who your God is? When people look at your story, when they look at your your life that you're leading, do they say, obviously, that is one who follows Jesus? My God is the Lord God Jesus? Or would they get confused because we're hanging at the same parties, pursuing the same goals, building the same lives? Pursuing the same pleasures, just like the rest of Israel during Elijah's days. In Ezekiel, it was prophesied during Ezekiel's days that God was searching for one person among them. One person who was willing to stand. One person who was willing to be a watchman on the wall. Who was willing to stand in the gap for all the land. And he said, I couldn't find 
one. In Elijah's day, there was one. There was one that was willing to stand up and declare, my God is Jehovah. And I wonder if in our generation, I wonder in this very space with this many people, I wonder if there are more than one who are willing to say, my God is Jehovah. Remember what Daniel said? The people who know their God, they will display their strength and they will take action. And that's what Elijah did. So Elijah moves into the palace. He comes from little old nowhere, confronts the king with this message. It will not rain until I say. We learn later in James that that prophecy, that curse that was placed there, if you will, uh, that spoken prophecy would last three and a half years, according to James, the book of James, chapter 5 and verse 17. For three and a half years, a drought moved into that space. Why would he speak such a message? Number one, because that's what God told him to say. He didn't make it up. He wasn't putting some kind of voodoo on the palace. He was speaking forth a prophecy, a truth to the king of the land. Because you see, the king of Ahab, or the king of Ahab, the king Ahab went to the people of Israel and said, you need to understand something. I'm wiser than all my predecessors. I know who the true God is. He is Baal. Do you know anything about Baal? Baal of the Old Testament was a God that was created by that generation that believed that Baal was the God of fertility. He was the God that brought life to the planet. That Baal was the one that caused rain to fall from heaven. That's what caused the crops to grow. The crops would grow. We would take the harvest and we would feed our bodies. And we would grow and our families would grow. And they put all of that and attributed it to an idol called Baal. So God, through his servant, one who was willing to be useful to the master, brings a message. Hey, you want to worship Baal? You think this God brings you rain? Watch this. For the next three and a half years... Your God will be silent because he is dead, he is false, and it is a lie. So for three and a half years, they would reap what they had sown in their idol worship. And God would raise up Elijah to bring light to darkness. So as we study this life, Elijah, he looks like a superhero. Next week, I'm going to bring him back down to our level. Next week, you're going to see this guy that looks so strong, looks so bold, looks tough. All of a sudden, we're going to realize there's a lot still to go on in his journey as well. And I would tell you the same is true for you and for me as as believers. That our faith, all of our faith, no matter how faithful we might feel like we are today, all of us need to be growing in our faith. So may we learn the lessons of Elijah. Number one, God uses ordinary people. Quit excusing away why you're not letting God use you. Show me something about Elijah that was spectacular. Show me something that he had that you don't. Nothing. He didn't have anything special except a faith in the one who would do special things in his life. He was just willing to say, God, I will walk by faith and I will do what you choose to do. The Bible says God has chosen to use foolish things, foolish people, weak things, confound the wise and the strong. Aren't you glad? That makes all of us eligible in the room. Can I get an amen? All of us are eligible. And God's ways don't always make sense. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Why this redneck from Tishba? 
Why not Samson? Why not somebody glorious? Why not somebody more experienced? No, God chooses to work in mysterious ways. The question is, will you let God work in your life? Will you let God use you to be a modern-day Elijah? And the last thing I'd point out is this. While God doesn't need us, God has chosen to use us. That's why Paul said to Timothy, Timothy, live a life useful to the master. He wants to use you as a vessel. He wants to work in your life. But you've got to be that vessel he can use. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that God has changed our lives, blessed us. That those who are in Christ, the old things have passed away, and behold, all things are new. And in the newness of this new heart we have, a new relationship with the Holy God, God also gives us a new purpose. Because God has given us a ministry of reconciliation. You see, the world will always pursue that which is evil, that which is unholy. The Bible says all of us in this room have done that. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. We all pursued those things, and that's why we needed a new heart and a new relationship with God, because evil cannot fellowship with holy. And when you come to know Christ, when you place your faith in Christ, you are birthed in faith, and from there you begin to grow in faith. And as you grow in that faith, God will use you as a vessel. You can be useful to the master. That ministry of reconciliation is to reach those who are out here where Elijah's generation was, living in evil, and introduce them to a holy God, letting them be reconciled back to him. There are so many in the church today that just want God to save them. They want just enough faith to be saved, but not letting God grow their faith. Not letting God create a faith in them like Elijah that says, I will stand and I will shine the light of all that is true and all that is holy, even when everyone else pursues the opposite. How can you have that kind of faith? Let's learn from the story of Elijah. With every head bowed and every eye closed, at least start here. At least start with this desire. God, I want to be useful to you, my master. Now, if you can't pray that, you may not be able to pray it because you may not have a master. You may not have a Lord. You may believe there is a God, but he is not the master, the ruler, the Lord of your life. It might be that you are living in the land in the days of Ahab, that you're pursuing everything but God, that you are choosing to live according to your own desires and your own ways. And today, God wants to save you. God wants to show you your need for his forgiveness, his grace, his transformation. And if that's you, I'd encourage you to come to one of our staff in just a moment and say, man, I need that God. I need to be saved. You ought to be the first to come. I know that if you lost an hour of sleep and still showed up at church, there's probably a lot of you that must know the Lord. That's the only reason you'd be up and out today. But that doesn't mean you have a growing faith. It might be that your faith is weak or your faith is struggling. Or your faith is compromised. You're not being useful to the master because you've gotten sucked in to the culture in which we live. And maybe you just need to cry out and say, God, cleanse me. God, I want to be useful to you like Elijah. You can cave to the corruption of our culture or you can surrender to a holy God. Be useful to 
the master. We had one declare today that she's been saved but needed to take a first step of obedience, needed to be baptized, and she joined the church this morning by baptism. Maybe you need to get that in order. Maybe you have another step of obedience you need to take. I don't know what that means. But I know this, Elijah walked by faith and lived a life that was pleasing to his master. Are you? Lord, in these next moments, whatever step needs to be taken, God, reveal it, empower it, and may we take it for your glory. Thank you that you took the first step towards us. You demonstrated your love for us and while we were sinners, just like the days of Ahab, pursuing evil and more evil, you still loved us. You still came for us. You still died for us. And you resurrected from the dead to give us life over evil. God grant that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.